We're doing it. We're finally podcasting. It feels like it's been a minute and I don't know why. It hasn't been. No. So many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Drew. I am Christopher and we have Lonely joining us in the damn library hyperspace Zoom call. Welcome, Lone. Thank you. Lonely holds an MFA degree in fiction from Fairfield University, where she also earned her bachelor's degree. A Pushcart Prize-nominated writer, Lone has had her short stories appear in Craft Literary, Mud Season Review, and Angel City Review. Lone works in book, book publishing and lives in Manhattan, wink, wink. A full love story is her first novel. And you can visit her at writerlonely.me and find her on Twitter as well. Yes, where I basically live. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, we all live in the hell zone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's I'm so excited to have you on the show. It is so it, I um I I know you in both of your um capacities now as an editor both lives. and a writer. Yes. And I'm so excited to get into both of those lives with you. Thank you for having me. So first you have to say the amazing cocktail that this book inspired Christopher. So excited to see it, yeah. Since we are doing a YA novel, I thought it would be um, apropos to make a, a virgin drink. And so this is a this is a mocktail. I'm calling it the Bittersweet Rivals. Ah, that's a wonderful title. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, mango puree and dragon fruit syrup, uh, and then mint, simple syrup, and seltzer. So it's sort, of a, sort of a mojito-inspired drink. Um, and then the mango and dragon fruit. Dragon fruit isn't exactly bitter. It can be very sweet, but it, if you cut it up open, basically, in, unless it's like super soft, I guess. It can, yeah. Wait, it can so how did, you, how did you make the dragon fruit syrup? Yeah, so I just sliced open a dragon fruit. And the, what's really fun about... Um, about making simple syrup at home is I just sliced it up with the um, skin attached, which I know it, it doesn't taste good, but yeah. it, <laughs> it um, imparts this really gorgeous, deep pink hue. Yes. Okay. Syrup. Yes. And then I strained out everything and it's got, and then, uh, so I muddled that with the mango puree and the mint and then, um, yeah, shook it up and strained it again and added seltzer. That's amazing. Sounds really great. And dragon fruit, it's just like, it's such a crazy looking and wonderful. Oh, it's so thing. good. It's like, it's a perfect summer food, I think. The yeah. Summer fruit. Um, yes. It's just simple too. You can eat it alone. Or for me, I grew up eating it with like, just crushed with ice and maybe a little bit of sugar. And that's it. That's, that's all you really need. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's great just as its own. That's why I've, um, that's why I already used it. All. <laughs> but <laughs> I did take a picture of it. So we'll be on our Instagram. Um, awesome. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I wasn't sure. I decided that I wanted to do two fruits, one for um, Lynn and one for Bao. And I don't know which one is mango and which one is dragon fruit, but um <laughs> You know, I think the readers of the book can decide for themselves. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> and when I think of dragon fruit, actually, I think of Bao's um, mom. Uh, oh. <laughs> so dragon fruit. There you go. So, so 
from they the other connections. The readers can make their connections. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds delicious. So thank you very much for making that drink. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it was so much fun to sort of get into. I've never actually bought a dragon fruit before, and like, mm -hmm. uh, it was fun to figure out how to. It's it's very easy pre to prepare. It's like kiwi yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that is the drink. The next portion of the show if you'll follow me to it, is the, uh, what did you buy? And Drew, why don't you, why don't you start us off with what you bought? I have kind of a long list, but that's because just last weekend uh, was two holidays in my household. Um, last weekend from when we recorded this anyway. The first was St. Geordie Day which I've talked about on the show before. Um, but it's, uh, it's also St. George's day in England, but it's from a Helen Oyeyemi story, um, where a character introduces the idea that in Portugal on the 23rd of April, there's an exchange of roses and books between lovers. And my wife and I have been doing it for years. Um, this year I gave her outlawed by Anna North. Mm. And she gave me the final revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about that book. I knew nothing about it, only having seen the cover a couple of times and being like, oh, there's a guitar on that. I should check it out at some point. Um, she has that, a, go ahead. Uh, is that one of those oral history, like? Uh... Yeah, it seems like oral history plus the like, maybe a little bit of collage too. Like it's not just interviews, but there's also, some mixed media stuff, I think. I don't know. Mm. I'm excited. Super I'm, fun. Yeah. And then um, the day after that was Independent Bookstore Day. Yeah. And we went for one of our first browses uh, into Golden Notebook in Woodstock, which has become my local indie bookstore. Um, and we picked up Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zauner. Oh, I can't wait to read that. So excited. I love the cover. The cover, I mean, we went in looking for it. And it just like leapt off of the shelf. I really yes. love that cover. Right. Um, and then the other book, I had read some excerpts of it. Uh, and yeah. in my one of my other lives, um, producing Thresholds, Jordan Kisner's show, she talked to Amy Nozukama, um, Amy Nozukama Tatil, who is the author of World of Wonders, a book of it's sort of a mix of like personal memoir essays and nature writing. Oh, um, interesting. Wow. And the conversation with her was so cool. And she was talking about like the ways in which learning to name the nature around you can just put you in better touch with the world that you live in. Mm -hmm. And the last six months since I moved to the Hudson Valley have been a lot of that experience. So I'm excited to see a really brilliant poetic author writing about it. Mm. Lone, how about you? That's wonderful. So many, yeah, I've been seeing the books that you mentioned all over the place, Crying in H Mark. Mark, for example, like I read The New Yorker, I think it was The New Yorker who published that like excerpt that mm -hmm. really launched it. And so it was beautiful. heartbreaking. Um, so I'm ready to have a cry when I, when I have, a, when I read that. <laughs> <laughs> so my latest purchases, I think I've, um, I just pre-ordered Arsenic and Adobo which is this cozy mystery that yeah. is uh, the author's Filipino. And it's, it's, I've just been seeing it everywhere. It's just this colorful cover, every color, like green, blue. Um, 
And Cozy Mystery is something that I've been just looking for to just read and, you know, just cover myself with a blanket and just disappear. Um, (laughs) So I pre-ordered that one. That one's coming out, I think, maybe this month. Um, And then I also pre-ordered, which actually just came out this week, Dalai for Aunties, uh, which is another really colorful. um, Oh, yeah cover that's a mashup of like different genres like it's mystery but a lot of humor because uh it's about this woman who goes on a blind date and she accidentally kills her blind date so she enlists I know it's a dark beginning it sounds dark but then she enlists the help of her aunties um to try to hide the body so uh there's like funny antics and uh, I've just been seeing it everywhere and then the author herself is just she's great at like just pushing her book out because the videos that she she's doing with her um to, to just market it is just so funny she she has aunties as well and they recently just reenacted the cover and it's just, it just makes you laugh so I'm really excited to read that one um yeah so two two books that are coming soon awesome that feels like I have dial a for aunties on my shelf and I'm waiting for like the perfect summer day yes yeah yeah <laughs> All right, Christopher, what did you buy? Yeah, so I picked up uh, Mona Awad's All's Well, which uh, we had her on for Bunny, and I loved Mm. Bunny. And when I saw that she was turning her eye to the world of adapting Shakespeare, and it's about putting on a a Shakespeare play, I knew that she was going to bring that wild, dark, subversive Bunny energy to the world of Shakespeare adaptations and the people who do them. And so I'm really excited for that. It comes out in August, I think. So, you know, I'm very excited to jump in and ha- since I have my copy already. And I picked up um, Daryl Gregory's album of Dr. Moreau. And so that's, um, it's coming out from tour and it's a locked room murder mystery where the suspects, are human animal animal hybrids. Oh gosh, that's so disturbing. <laughs> and, they're, and they're members of a boy band called Wild Boys. Um, oh and so it's there's just so many levels to that of like you already have locked room murder mystery and then I know. <laughs> animal hi, human hybrid, and then you add boy band and I you know it's it seems like a slim little book. I'm surprised at how how much um, Daryl Gregory fit into that. So I'm very excited to read both of these. They both jumped to the right to the top of my list when they arrived. Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited. But what I'm really excited about is to talk to you about your novel, A Full Love Story. Yes. Will you tell (laughs) our listeners um, what it's about? In your words? Of course, I'll try my best. (laughs) So uh, this is my first book. It's my YA rom-com debut. And it's about two Vietnamese teens in Little Saigon, California, who um, have been told to stay away from each other their whole entire lives. Uh, Their parents own rival restaurants that are also neighbors, so they can see what each other is doing. Like they can just look out of the window and they can see the other other family. Um, So they've been told to stay away. Uh, they've been told different pieces of gossip about them as well. But then they, um, one night, they kind of just run into, run into each other. Um, and 
they realize that they're not too bad. You know, they, they realize that everything they've, they've known was just completely wrong. Um, so they kind of start a friendship from there and then they obviously fall in love. But at the same time, it's a story, not just about them, their relationship, but also who they are as teenagers and who they want to be. Um, one of them is a artist and she's always been an artist and she, that's what she wants to do, but she doesn't really know how to tell her parents. The other person, Bao, um, he doesn't really want doesn't know what to do at first, but then I think it's a beautiful journey that he, he has as he learns what he likes to do, what he's passionate about. Um, so it's also about them as individuals outside of the, the whole romance aspect. Um, there's also a little bit about family history and family secrets, um, the, the, the bond between child and parents as well. So it's a little bit of everything, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like a good meal. Yes, hey. oh, perfect. <laughs> Your mind. <laughs> so um, one of my favorite things about it is it's told in this dueling perspectives. You you hear from Lynn and then you heard from Bao. And I'm curious what drew you to the dueling perspectives? Yeah, I think I I just love the idea of going to different people's heads. And I thought it'd be funny to to kind of um, here are the things that like, you know, Lynn probably thought something about Bao, but then Bao, we wouldn't have known it um, unless we heard it from her perspective. And then there's also Bao who learns about her and then there's different things that he unlearns. Um, I think they're also two different people too. They, they have different wants. They were taught differently in a way. They have different sets of parents. Um, I just, it was just a natural choice for me to go back and forth between the two of them. So it was there from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. I always had, um, the way that I think is like, I, I think in, uh, as a writer, I think in scenes. So when I was mm. like, and also the voice actually comes in really pretty much first, I think whenever I write in first person. Um, so there's two kind of distinct voices that kind of came up uh, along the, the drafting process. Um, like Bao, his voice was like, he's a little bit more adorable and, uh, uh, he loves, he also has this kind of way of seeing different words and feeling words um, versus Lynn who had, who can see color and, and light and dark um, aspects. So they were different voices that kind of came up. What was it like immersing yourself in, in teenagers again? Oh, it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to recall how I was when I was a teen. I was not as I don't know. I can't even remember what it was like as a teen anymore. It's been so long, but uh, it was fun. It was fun to, I think in, in YA literature, there's this kind of, I think people immediately just think of like, I don't know, maybe me. I think of like whiny, melodramatic. <laughs> I, teenagers probably hate me, um, but like <laughs> maybe because it's what I was thinking about like internally, I, I hated myself as a teenager, um, probably. So, Any teenager who's listening to this show is like, oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hate myself kind of thing. Uh, so uh, it was actually a fun process to just kind of develop them as just like, they're, they're really just emerging into their own self. Like they're finding themselves. It's all, it's really confusing, but it's also a joyful process of, of accepting who they are, um, uh, learning more about how they relate to the world, how they relate to their parents, because, you know, all their lives they've been growing up I guess just going along with what their parents want, 
and then now they're just figuring out figuring themselves out so I think it was a freeing experience to 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 write teenagers voice I also wanted to make it kind of more uh give them like more credit as teenagers like they're going going through a lot Mm -hmm. all at once and and that's what teenagers are doing especially you know thinking about the previous year uh previous year what what had happened they're going through so much they have they feel so much inside um so I tried my best to put that on page of how their like emotions are everywhere (laughs) yeah and but all the emotion is kind of valid it's really valid and it's 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 important that they feel this way um because there's no use in bottling it up um yeah (laughs) yeah Uh (laughs) uh-huh I wish somebody had told me that when I was 14 (laughs) yeah right they are um, so responsible though. You know, neither of them are like blowing off their family restaurants. They're like totally immersed in it and feel proud of their association with their family restaurant. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know, I was trying to decide if I like wanted to grow up in a family restaurant or not while I was reading this because in, it's in some ways you get the food world like ingrained in you from birth, but in mm-hmm. other ways, seems like a very stressful existence to be there's a lot of responsibility yeah yeah um what what research did you do for the for the, for that aspect the growing up in a restaurant and the the food research um well the food itself I just grew up in my family you know my fan whenever there's family gatherings there's always food no matter what <laughs> um so I think that's the kind of research that was built in uh I just grew up with these different foods from Bob uh, for sale. Um, one of the aspects is in this book I wanted to do was to take the childhood foods I've always grew up with, some that people might not know about, like fuzz right now is really popular. I think people know more about that, but I also wanted to bring exposure to the foods that we sort of had like every day. Like uh, there's one that's called ganjul, which is like a home cooked meal. And that's really common to have on a dinner. Um, pho is kind of like you make it when there's like family around because you have to make sure. it in huge, huge batches, uh, which is what my mom does. Um, so yeah, so the food was taken up from my life directly. The restaurant was more of like, I watch a lot of food blogs um, uh, and I, I always just love watching shows with food. I watch Top Chef, Top Chef a lot, Master Chef um, to get like the sense of the mass, like the, the busyness of kitchens. Um, I think I got through, I I tried, because I didn't grow up in the restaurant business, I tried to kind of transfer the, like, the work ethic of my parents and my whole entire family into that restaurant on the page. Like, they put their all into the restaurant. And in my life, my parents and my aunt, my uncle, everyone in my family put their all into their work. Um, So I kind of made it, I kind of made that transference almost. I'd love to dive a little deeper into a craft thing around the food, which is that you you write about taste so well. I feel like oh, it's such you. a hard thing to do to like, to make somebody's mouth water, particularly if it is something that they maybe haven't had before. Yeah. And every description of food in this book is just like, uh, <laughs> like it's so good. Thank and you I, so much. <laughs> I just, like, I'm in awe. And I would love to just hear you talk a little bit about like, about that, about writing flavor. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, it wasn't too hard for me to do that. Um, but I do think 
the way that I wrote it was that I think of an emotion when I think of food. Mm. So like, for example, a bun sale was something that I loved writing about because I also love it. But it's not just the flavor itself, but like that warmth that it brings you and the feeling like when you eat bun sale for me, like I always think of rainy days. I associate with rainy days. And I put that into the book too, because we would always, my family would always eat bun sale when it's rainy or when it's a little bit cold. Um, so I always thought of that, of, of connecting the flavor to, to not just like the mouth, but to like the whole entire body, to the mind, the heart, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I can't really trace how I, that completely, <laughs> I hope I gave a good enough answer, but I do, I do always connect it back to not just the mouth, but just the emotion of it. I love that. I'm curious about mindset about, um, because you are also in a book editor. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious about going from, you know, your day job of working with words to your writing job of working with words. (laughs) (laughs) How do you draw the line and, uh, what are the mindsets? Yeah, it's exhausting sometimes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you just don't want to think about words. Sometimes you just want to zone out. Um, uh, but I think I, I mean, I just love it so much both sides that um, I'm just used to it now of uh, working with words in the day and then nighttime is when I spend time with my own words. So as an, I, I made the comparison before in another, I think another show um, where writing so I compare it almost to a house, right? So editing is almost as if you're invited into someone's house. You're invited um, to, I mean, maybe you can like switch up some of the decor and like move things around and th- stuff, but it's not yours. It's like someone else's house and, and it's something that belongs to them. And you're, you're given the privilege to enter their house and live the lives that they had themselves have built. So you're sharing it with them. But as a writer, you're building something from scratch. Like you're writing it, you're writing the foundation of it. Um, you're putting, you know, you're kind of putting the touches that you that belong to you inside the house. Um, and it's yours. It's it's the writer's words. So so yeah, it's more of like um that mindset of I know when I'm an editor, I know that I can't change someone's style. I can't do something that doesn't make it theirs. Uh, it would be completely wrong. So I trust, as an editor, I trust my writers completely. Um, and I understand that it's it's a right, it's a privilege to be able to work with them, you know, um, that they and themselves are inviting me into their worlds. Mm. Um, and then as a writer though, I as a writer, I know that there's more freedom where I can do whatever I want because it's in my head and I'm putting it on the page. Um, in terms of when I was writing the book, my editor side, I tried to take it, I tried to turn it off completely. Um, I tried to think that I can't really edit anything until I have it on the page. (laughs) I think at first I was like, I was like writing a chapter and then going back and like literally just destroying it as an editor. I was just like, oh, this word sucks. Or like the sentence sucks. It's completely wrong. Uh, I should not write anymore. Um, and that is not a good place to be, uh, (laughs) self-editing and you're destroying everything it's not fully formed and it was completely wrong of me to do that so um I had to really my mind had to turn off that editor hat 
for sure as I was writing. I had to trust myself as a creative person, as someone who um, needed to just get something on page before I can touch it. Mm. So uh, the process itself was very imperfect. And I tried to trust that it's fine to be imperfect for a little while, you know, to, to the mess. You have to have a mess before you can create something out of it, you know? So yes. after that, after that, when the mess was there, <laughs> that's, when I, <laughs> that's when I completely tore it apart and I had fun with it. Um, the revision process for me is my favorite. Completely. That makes sense. Now that you've, you know, been on the editor side of the desk, went to the writing side and back on the editor, <laughs> do you feel like um, treating writers any differently? Like, have you, have you learned something from being in their shoes that you're like, ah, I know oh, yeah. I'm going to do something quite differently. Yeah. <laughs> yes, completely. Deadlines are, <laughs> they're flexible. <laughs> <laughs> they should be flexible. Um, <laughs> to, to, I try to give my authors like enough time now with their words. Uh, Cause I understand the struggle of it. I pushed past my deadline so many times. So I thought that they probably would cancel my contract. Um, <laughs> it was, I felt bad. I was just like, I know that people are waiting on it. I know they're, uh, yeah. So I, I knew to be really much nicer with deadlines when I give it to writers. Um, I'm, I'm not that I was mean before when I was editing, but I, I kind of am now more, um, make sure to lead with praise a bit more and just like acknowledge the writing, the, how much of a feat it is to, to write. Um, so in my edits, I always make sure to like really just show them like what I really love about their writing. And obviously if I'm acquiring them, I, I love everything about it. So I make sure to leave notes throughout. Um, whenever I have like a point that I disagree with, I definitely make sure to, to say in a way where I want to compromise or I want to see their perspective first before I kind of suggest something. So, you know, in my edits, I might say like, oh, this isn't working for me and this is why, but then obviously, you know, we can chat about it. Um, hmm. So all my edits are more of like, not that I was saying that it was like the rule before, but like now I really make sure to show that it's, it's a suggestion and that I am totally open to collaborating uh, with whatever they, they, you know, they feel comfortable with. So nice. that's much nicer to my writers. <laughs> <laughs> because I do get in, I think before as I'm reviewing my like the, the manuscripts I edited before about because I do make sure to learn from my mistakes as an editor. Um, so I go back to old manuscripts that I probably would edit and I would see that I would focus on the parts that needed help. And that's of course why I'm there. I, I want to make the writing better. But I, I noticed that I wasn't acknowledging what they were doing too, the, the greatest parts, you know, that they, they were really successful at doing. Um, so yeah, just acknowledging and, and celebrating what they're doing. That sounds great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Writers have like our hearts are, I mean, I'm saying it as a writer, like our hearts are really fragile sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we get used to rejections, of course, but then we're still that person inside. We're like, like I hope people like this um <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah it makes me wonder then about your reading life you brought us this um incredible novel help for the haunted by John Searles and it made me wonder about 
you've got so many hats. <laughs> so the reader hat, um, how do you, and you know, being tired of words, do, do you, do you um, find it easy to, to pick up a book just to read for fun? I, I do. Um, I mean, the, it's just the, t the time is what it's against me. Like I don't have time sometimes, but I do still enjoy the pleasure of reading. Um, and my reading taste is definitely, it more, it aligns with what I edit of like dark atmospheric fiction. Um, I think I, I enjoy reading rom-coms and in lighter things, but I, I think I watch more of that versus reading where reading is very much into that um, dark in the sense of like, it, it's, it's a, in, it, there's a lot of interiority. There's a lot of uh, confronting past self, uh, past trauma things that are kept buried for a long time and come out. Um, but of course you kind of see that in, I think in my novel too, of like that family, on, like learning about family, learning about secrets. So I guess there's kind of this, you know, common theme maybe. Um, but my reading tastes are often very dark, um, more in like the mystery thriller suspense area. Well, that, I mean, leads us to ask you to both tell us about the book that you brought and why you brought it because i i remember getting the list and i was like oh in, okay i can't wait to like compare these two books next to one another. <laughs> oh yeah well i mean i was like i i was i struggled with the, the book club pick because I, I haven't read recently a like light you know light book so i kind of went into my very uh, this was like one of my i it came out in what 2000 I read the paperback, so it was 2013. So it, I think this was like the one of the books that kind of defined what I want to acquire. Um, cool. Yeah. So this one is about um, a teenager whose parents are, they're kind of like exorcists, exorcists and they deal with, um, they're, old, they're called upon when people need help or they, they are haunted. Um, and so her parents one night um they got a call from someone uh and it presumed it was presumably like something related to their job uh but it was it was not and they had you know <laughs> kind of passed away not passed away but they were killed during this event um so it was kind of about this girl who just kind of ex at first accepted that this was her parents' career of what they did, of helping the haunted. And it was something that was normal in her life, very normal. But as she is learning more about what had led to their deaths and about her own family and um, the actual career, it, it, it becomes a kind of a search for truth of who were the, her parents really? Um, what kind of life was she and her older sister um, were living as well? So. Yeah. It was, it's, it's, it's a... Uh, it starts out as one thing, and this is what I like in fiction. It starts out one thing, and you kind of think you know what's going to happen, but then as you are exploring it more towards the end, it just turns into something else. Um, it opens. There's like a it op the the fiction I like. It just it's narrow at first, and then it just widens into Ooh. something else. It's funny. I started I started reading it right after watching. I mean, truly right after watching the trailer for the new. The Conjuring movie, whatever, like The Conjuring Six, Dead Men Tell No mm. Tales, or something. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, it's 
is this like the Warrens and that I like, I love a supernatural, um, like a pair of exorcists and yeah. fan, like that thing. And it, it defied my expectations kind of with each, each move in a way that, I mean, I had, I, you know, there are, as we say, so many damn books and <laughs> I, like I, this book passed me by, I had never heard of it. Yeah. And to, to really like kind of jump into it and fly through it. And each time I was putting up a like, Oh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's going to turn like the sisters. It's going to be like a Marlena kind of thing. And it was like, ah, nope, not quite. And it really like, I loved how it kept juking like that. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's why I love in fiction. Uh, like that's what I admire about writers who can, they can plant stuff. Right. And they can choose to, take the reader on one path, but then completely like kind of push, push them into a ditch and like, just, <laughs> just let them figure, figure stuff out by themselves. Um, that's, that's it. This is, this is kind of, it kept you, it kept you on your toes. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that is that the time is really slippery in this book. Like you're, yeah. you're yeah. like 10 years before and then you're now and you're two years before and right. then you're now. And you know, like there's all of this like hopping, where you're getting context, but you're never sure, you're not sure which context you're gonna be getting next. Right. Yeah. It's like a very cool trick because that's a lot of spinning plates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the reader is it's cool to have the readers um not trust what they're reading, but also it's cool to see the characters not trusting themselves. Uh mm-hmm. I mean you know sylvia especially she doesn't really she begins to like not trust what she remembers um and i love what you said about the time being slippery because that's it for sure and then there's also different like transcripts would come in the book excerpt would come in Mm -hmm. too so that's another kind of texture to the book too Mm -hmm. Um, because and you're not you're not like you're not hearing from her interiority it's it's something that is presented to her um it's from a different perspective yeah Mm -hmm. There's an amazing trick of that at the end that I, I'm going to try to talk about it without spoiling it. Cause it does, it feels like the culmination of that back and forth where one character is telling a story essentially to another character who's responding mm-hmm. with pieces of story. But the way that he wrote that instead of it being like two people are sitting across a table and like paragraph of text, paragraph of text. The way that like the point of view shifted, the tense shifted. Right. I loved that. But it felt like in some ways you could only earn that kind of really like bravura trick by having built up the goodwill of doing little, little, like that was the big, that was the big finale trick. I felt like yeah, in a way that really landed for me. Yeah. The author was sure to make, to plant the seeds before using that technique at the end. Yeah. And the other thing that he was doing that was really admirable was just like, there's just these horror set pieces all over the place. They're all terrifying. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, he, they, he's got a haunted basement to work yeah. with. You know, yeah. he, he's got, <laughs> he, he's got like this weird, like um, turkey farm that's nearby. That's get, like, things are getting slaughtered the whole time. And like, there's a character that doesn't have any, like some of the fingers on the, one of his hands because mm-hmm. of maybe the turkeys. No, wait, like that's also running through. Like <laughs> why, how, why did he lose his fingers? Which is mm-hmm. also just like, small little bits of body horror yeah i mean i there's the cage too with the that uh penny 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no so thanks. freaky. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. I there was a um my my uh mom had a doll growing up that it was one of those ones that like when you hold it up its eyes open oh put it down its eyes like closed oh and i know what you're talking about yep and it was like an antique one and it used you know she got it and um you know from her grandma's house i think and then it got put into my sister's room and then my sister started having nightmares so it had to be taken out of my sister's room (laughs) and so like the 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 haunted doll was really landing for me because it's just like yeah that's a, that's a scary doll <laughs> i've had that haunted doll experience for sure like i had a doll that would sit up like it no matter if you threw it against the wall or whatever wherever you dropped it it would sit up by itself it could still sit up so i know right <laughs> like no nope. no nope. experience is not not good and it was also it looked like one of those old ones like with the button eyes mm-hmm. and rag- raggedy uh hair <laughs> and just that yeah that prairie kind of dress too so yeah <laughs> this actually leads me um into anytime we read a scary book or a, a book with ghosts i always want to ask do you believe in ghosts for yourself like are yeah. you a, are you a believer i think so yeah I mean, I, I always believe like just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not real kind of thing. So uh, I do believe that there's ghosts and and maybe it's because my like my family, not that they like are uh, completely like, oh, ghosts are real and everywhere all, all the time. There's like moments where my parents would talk about the ghosts that they would see and it just comes so suddenly that I'm like, oh, like I kind of I kind of forget that they were they believe in certain ghosts um like for my mom example like she meant to take a different turn uh but uh my mom she so she's from vietnam during the vietnam war and there was a moment where she was kind of hiding some people from the communist government right and she, she left them inside their house in her house and she was kind of let them just stay overnight um but then she mentioned that there was like at night, like a ghost or like some something came out and told her that, you know, they have to leave. Like these people who came have to leave right now or else they're gonna, the the, like, the officials are gonna raid the house. And it actually happened. Wow. Um, it happened, but then she kind of trusted whatever the spirit or ghost had said and, and just told them to go. Um, and then there's also another moment when, uh, so my mom had a younger sister um, who passed during the war and, uh, there was a moment in the hospital where, because she was in the hospital and she was sick. Um, there was a moment where uh, it was kind of the night before or a few days before she had passed where she told my mom that her mother, their mother had also passed during the war too, but their mother had come to her and told her that, you know, my mom has to take her home. Like she can't stay in the hospital, right? And unfortunately, you know, my mom was just like she thought you know my sister her her sister was just so sick and she didn't really think much about it but then you know unfortunately later on my my aunt her younger sister had passed um and so it's one of those things that my mom like one parts of her past that would come up suddenly in conversation um so she talks about that moment of being that like that moment that ghost of her their mother had come in and she should have trusted it you know 
so yeah so various times like it, it's not like our family it's not like our family the family here of, <laughs> uh, it's always around us kind of thing um but i i i do feel that feel feel that there um are moments where mentions of ghosts come up and i'm just like yeah i believe it like why not why wouldn't why wouldn't you believe it yeah wow It makes me think of a question I wanted to ask actually about your book, but, but that ties both of these books together that there is, I have not read a ton of YA really at all. I mean, certainly mm -hmm. when I was a kid, but it, like it wasn't YA then. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, right after finishing your book before I read Help for the Haunted, I read the forthcoming TJ Klune book flash fire that's coming out oh. from tour in july yeah um lucky you <laughs> it's so good <laughs> and there's this this thing that i was marveling at about the ways in which you do this tj does that like you talk about these huge life-changing things these very like grown-up important things and there's never a sense of like dumbing it down or writing for kids it's all it like you know in the same way that you treat the emotions the like royal of emotions that teenagers are going through with the utmost seriousness it's mm -hmm. the same seriousness as like their parents talking about the war yeah and i i would just love to hear you talk about that a little bit because i really like it made me so happy to see ya novels that like that that do treat all of these things as deeply, deadly serious as they are, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it kind of comes from a place where I, I, I sometimes get annoyed with some, uh, like young, not young adult, maybe the more of the movies that I see mm -hmm. of, of some of the things that are, I see, I, you know, I see a lot of teenagers just like having fun in general and maybe their lives aren't as, the issues I think they, they're thinking about is like kind of trivial in a way. Um, but for me growing up as a teenager, I feel like there is a weight on me for sure because of my family's history. And there are things that I didn't really get to, you know, enjoy as most teenagers in these movies would enjoy. Mm -hmm. the, the idea of like going to, off to parties or traveling somewhere, I was like, what is this? I've never got to get to see the side. I was, I always felt like I, as a person, like I always was raised to kind of remember the family and remember that everything that I am able to have is because of the sacrifices that my family um, had made. So, um, so I think it, it just comes from a place where like, for me, that these were the, the situations, the history that I was dealing with. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also a lot to unpack about that, of, of this history of what you inherit from your parents, um, your family that I hadn't seen when I was growing up very much in, mm. in book and in film. So I think that was the main driver of, of why I was putting these topics into the book. Uh, I need, I think there needs, needs to be space now and then also more in the future too for, for these teenagers who are probably, they, they inherit more things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's the um, the theme of both of these books is parents like don't keep te 
secrets for too long from your kids <laughs> because no. it's just going to backfire. It's not going to go the it's way. It's a little can. damaging. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it can either cause a restaurant rivalry that didn't need to exist, or it can cause your parental untimely deaths. So yes. <laughs> there's there's a wide spectrum of uh, consequences. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I so appreciate you bringing um, help for the haunted into my life. I like Drew said, I completely missed it when it came out, but yeah. it's it's so entertaining and um, deep in a way that I was totally not expecting. So I'm glad you guys. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you guys asked for recommendations. Um, Yeah. It's, it's one of those books that they kind of, they stick with you. Uh, You know, obviously I still remember it now and um, they inform what I, they kind of combine everything that I love Mm -hmm. and they'd really, I mean, this really is, because it was published in 2013, 14, like at the very beginning of my publishing career where I was like, what do I want to work with? And yeah. this is this is it. This is one of the those books, so. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we get into recommending all sorts of things, all of us, to the, uh, to the, to the good people that are listening. Drew, do you want to start us recommending things? I is this will. also, is this some um, books or like anything in general? Anything. Anything. Got it. Okay, great. I love the freedom here. <laughs> <laughs> I have a book and a TV show. Okay. The book is Morgan Jerkins' Call Baby. Mm. Um, I, I read it in the space of like a day and a half. I just devoured it. It is, um, it's my, one of my favorite kinds of, novel it's a little bit magical realism it's a new york novel it's a family novel it's beautifully like deliciously written um and i just it it felt like the kind of book that i was reading when i was in high school and had this sort of this idea of new york city of that I got from books that I got from books and TV shows and movies, the, like the, I don't know how to describe it other than like the New Yorkiness. And I think that 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 does specifically mean like a Manhattan-ness that encompasses everything from Harlem and Morningside Heights all the way down to the financial district and the way that like Manhattan for all of its disparate pieces is it's also like, it's its own thing. If you live in Manhattan or you're thinking about Manhattan, like it's got, this particular energy to it and the novel has that like it's set in this Harlem brownstone it's dealing with like the DA um I don't even want to say that much about the plot because the way that the jacket copy talks about it of this family in Harlem that sort of has a side business that's a little bit witchy of selling call from babies who are born with a call as sort of a protective charm that when you hear that, you're like, Oh, okay. I think I understand. Like you try to map yeah. that onto what that would be in, in real life. And it's not that it's so much more magical and thrilling. And this house is like vaguely ominous and alive. The ah, main, I love it. It's like, Oh, everything I love 
about like a rainy day in New York mm. poured into this book. Um, and it's also set, um, or part of it anyway, is set in a New York before I arrived. It is the New York that I was watching when I was growing up and occasionally visiting when I came to see my uncle. And so that I think was also a really fun thing that leads me to my other recommendation, uh, which is the nanny. My wife and I um, started watching for Danny. It's her first time seeing it. I watched some of it when it was on TV, but the nanny nanny, uh, starring Fran Drescher and Saeed Jones was tweeting about like getting high and watching a bunch of episodes and being like, this show is hilarious. And I was like, I remember that show. And all I can remember of that show is like her very nasal laugh. And I was like, was this, how could this show be an, a thing that people on, <laughs> on Twitter now love so much? Yeah. And it's just, it's so delightful. It's so, so full of double entendres. It's like yeah. the jokes are filthy for the 90s in a way that I was like, how did they get away with this? Um, but the like the interstitial segments where it's just like a street scene in New York are like on VHS tapes. Like you can see the lines of tape on the... <laughs> In a way that I was like, oh, like that's, I haven't thought about that iteration of the city since I moved to New York. Yeah. And that's been a really lovely, like bonus nostalgia thing about watching that show. Nice. That's that's so funny when you mentioned her laugh that I was just, okay, I hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, Lone, how about you? So I think I have three things. Uh, so I recommend people, if you're a writer, um, and you want to escape for a little while, I recommend going to Highlights. Uh, that's where I actually was there recently and it's in like the woods of Pennsylvania. It's, it's Highlights, the non the foundation that like, uh, publishes the magazine, the magazine for children slash, um, the books too. But it, the, the retreat is not just for writers who write children's literature. It's for everyone who just wants to write. Um, cool. and if you need a personal retreat you you just you know you book it you get your own cabin you get the meals is paid for too in inside in in the cost which is really affordable actually i I forgot the exact cost but it's truly affordable where it's worth it you get a solo cabin food um you can interact with people if you want but it's really safe and social all social distance you can take hikes whenever you um it's perfect i like wrote like 30 pages uh in the span of like three days. So that was a lot for me at least. So um, so that's a recommendations for right recommendation for writers. Um, I'm recently obsessed with this coffee, <laughs> Vietnamese coffee called copper cow coffee. And it's this drip coffee that you can it's portable where you know it's packaged and then you just add hot water and then it comes with condensed milk because that's what you usually use with Vietnamese coffee. Um, and it's perfect really perfect and I love it. Uh, it tastes so good. And um, my other recommendation is probably a TV show that I am re-watching because it's a comfort in a way, but it's called The OA on Netflix. Ooh, nice. And how do I even describe it? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you can just describe, you probably can only describe the first sentence and that makes sense. And then the rest is just something you discover on your, like on your own. Um, but maybe see like this woman who had been missing for, I think, seven or eight years. Uh, she disappeared when she was blind. She comes back and she's no longer blind. 
Um, so she's back home and she kind of, um, a friendship, I don't know, <laughs> starts a friendship with a bunch of misfits in high school. And uh, yeah, she's, it's just, she tells a story. She tells a story that is supposedly about what had happened to her, happened to her in the years that she's gone missing. But the story itself is also very weird, layered, oddly emotional too, um, especially towards the end. But uh, but yeah, it's a weird show and it's brilliant. So nice. Yes, Christopher, you next. <laughs> um, yes, I am going to recommend two things. I'm going to recommend first um, a book because that is our show. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's called A Spindle Splintered by Alex E. Harrow. And Ooh. it's um, a retelling of Sleeping Beauty uh, in a novella. And it's it's beautiful. It's, it's short. It's like 100 pages. And it's got this beautiful um, sort of silhouette uh, page decorations throughout, which oh, are just nice. absolutely beautiful. And it's just, I've never read such an a cool reimagining it's it's um someone who has a terminal illness that they're supposed to die when they turn around 21 or 22 and so she's obsessed with sleeping beauty because of the sort of curse elements there and it's just a fantastic retelling um highly recommended and then the other thing i'm going to recommend is a podcast it's called welcome to your fantasy and it is about the Chippendales dancers. Um, it's a oh. very specific. Wow. <laughs> it's about. It's it's. Um, I guess that was that's the name of one of their um, traveling shows. Was called Welcome to Your Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And my God, like I thought, you know, the Chippendales. You sort of know who they are. You've got like the sort of idea of what that was, but the actual history of how the Chippendales Club came to be and. If there's like a true crime uh, murder element to the podcast, it's a really fun, really well produced. Um, it was on Spotify, I think, and I burned through. I don't think I've listened to a podcast so quickly in mm. in a really long time. Like not since S Town or Serial um, have I like wow. really wanted to like listen to the whole thing all in one gulp. <laughs> And I hope they get to make more, uh, like find another story from the Chippendales world <laughs> to do a season two, because like season one was amazing and they sort of hinted that they had more stories. Right. Um, and yeah, they have, uh, there's an Instagram with that just covers the insane um, merchandise <laughs> uh, line. Uh, Chippendales revealed that you should go and check out too because it's amazing what they put these tanned men on (laughs) Um, so highly highly recommended um definitely check that out will do and then the 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 other thing that we recommend very highly is a fa love story by lonely it's so good It's it's so good it's so sweet and it's so thoughtful and I actually got really misty-eyed while I was reading it. Oh, my heart right now. Thank you. (laughs) And so so that's the other. Oh, other little recommendations is please, please, please give us reviews on iTunes. Write out nice reviews. It really, really helps us. If you like the show, we really appreciate when people go and write us reviews. 
And we also like it when you give us money on our Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash SMDB. Those are the things. It's um, true. Money, yes. <laughs> you need it. Yeah. Lone, thank you so much for joining us. This was a pleasure. Yeah, this was a thank delight. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. I'm, re I'm really glad you read it and I really appreciate everything. This was really fun. I loved it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we will see you next time, readers. Nice. Uh, That's good. I like that. Is that the end? Is that our I think so. Sign I'm going to push okay. the stop button. <laughs>